Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, friends. Today, I am bringing another interview podcast to your ears. And in this episode, I'm interviewing a a new friend and also a fellow acupuncturist, Capri Kurtz. Um, and she, her story is really interesting because she had, her first birth was sort of an accidental um, unassisted birth. And then for her second pregnancy, for her second birth, she decided to um, do a free birth, which basically means that you're unassisted. So it was just her and her partner. So um, we just have a really great conversation in this episode talking about all sorts of things, um, her period pain and how acupuncture and some lifestyle changes were really useful for her, and then her journey through fertility, pregnancy, the postpartum phase, and then um, through her second pregnancy and decision to have a free birth. So please enjoy this episode with Capri. All right, welcome back everybody. I am here today with Capri Kurtz and she is a mama to two little ones and has a really, really interesting story to share with us today. So Capri, to start out, if you can just tell us how old your children are. Sure, yes, my oldest daughter is four and a half and my youngest daughter is a year and a half. So they're three years apart. There's some math for you. And yeah, that's, that's, that's how long I've been a mom, four and a half years. Yeah. So um, to start out, if you can just talk about um, your period history, any, if you had any irregularities or pain or any treatments that were most useful to you um, throughout your menstruating life. And if that changed between pregnancies or um, postpartum after this last pregnancy or anything that you want to share about menstruation. Sure. Um, I got my period at kind of an average age, I would say like 12 to 13, somewhere in there. It was like this huge secret. I was like putting my, my dirty, my, um, I almost said dirty underwear, my bloody underwear, like in the trash. Cause I really, it was almost like in shock. I just was not prepared. It was not really a great conversation. Like there was nothing, there's no preparation. That's something I'm actually side note passionate about especially having daughters is like making it a rite of passage and making it like this thing that they know about that's going to come and I'm already teaching my oldest daughter about menstruation as I bleed and you know using different language and you know as I go teaching her so that when that time comes for her it isn't this like what the heck's happening I'm just going to ball this up and put it in the trash and let my mom find it and which my mom did find it my like she she eventually was you know cleaning up the trash cans and she's like oh you know you have your period and she was shocked I mean she wasn't at all trying to shame me of course um and then she was like you're getting your period like here's a pad and 
I just think I honestly, like there was like a cognitive dissonance when it was happening for me. It was like a disembodiment from it. And I think that like, like I see women's health and a lot of acupuncturists see, and you know, people that study this type of women's wisdom see women's health as like a continuum. So like it really, our menarch is like informs our, our menarch, our first sexual encounter, our pregnancies, our births, our postpartums, our menopause, like they all inform each other on a continuum. So like we can heal at any point along the way and kind of like heal those threads. Um, so yeah, that's how it began. And it was not painful until I became sexually active when I was around 16. And that's when the, like, that's when it became very painful. That's so interesting. Do you, can you attribute that to any thing in particular? Um, I think my lifestyle probably got a little bit, you know, worse then. Cause I was definitely like, um, I was like drinking at that point, which I wasn't when I was first got my period. Um, that's the only thing I can attribute is like lifestyle factors, uh, you know, drinking and kind of, I don't know. That's the only thing. And then section, and then, you know, what happened with my body perhaps on like a psycho spiritual level. Cause I really do think it's all connected too. It's like, this is something I thought in hindsight, this is absolutely not something I thought of at the time, but, um, and especially going forward with my, what I dealt with, with my period is I do feel like it had to do with kind of me giving parts of myself away maybe physically. Cause I was a little bit, you know, very experimental in that department at, when I became a teenager and, um, I ended up getting like a serious boyfriend around like 16, 17. And that's when I told my mom, like, you know, I have, I have painful periods. Then I went on birth control. Um, and then I was on birth control from like 16 to 24, I think. And, um, I chose to, I chose to get off of it. And I was just like, I, I don't know. It was almost like intuitive. Cause I was starting to like do healing. I was starting on a path of like, I want to get more balanced and healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. And that was just like a natural step. And then, um, and then like learning about my rhythms and as you understand, and I've heard you talk about in your episode. Yeah, I had a, a similar time frame that I was on the pill too. That's really interesting. So um, when you went off of the pill, did the pain come back, I assume? Um, it's hard to totally remember, you know, because it's been so long. I might've even had pain when I was on the pill. I do remember getting pain medicine along with the pill prescription, but I never finished the whole bottle. So it must not have been a big issue, but yes, I did get pain again. Um, and I was at that point, like dealing with autoimmune flare up. Um, so I know, you know, and this might've happened when I was 16 too, with that lifestyle switch, like where it kind of degraded my lifestyle degraded. Um, I think that was when I started developing my autoimmune symptoms. I don't totally subscribe to the autoimmune model anymore, but, um, cause I think our body's always healing. And like, then with this whole thing of like autoimmunity, like, oh, your body's just attacking itself. It's like, no, your body's trying to heal and we're blocking it. And these chemicals and everything is blocking it. So, um, what was I saying? Uh, well, so I was asking if the, the pain returned after you stopped taking birth control and you're saying it was kind of never really went away. Um, but then because you went off birth control and you were starting to become more interested in, uh, more holistic treatment modalities. Right. Um, so can you talk about like some of the changes that you made either in your lifestyle or certain treatments that you were using at that time? Yeah. Um, well, I, I began practicing yoga when I was like 19 or so. And that was kind of the beginning. Was like, okay, I need to like take care of myself. Like what a concept. I mean, I was like, I went to the gym and did those basic kind of things, but this was a different kind of like inward and it really fed me. And then, um, I got into like a lot of self-help books and I wrote a lot and that, like, that's part of 
you know, that's not going to be for everyone. But for me, that was a big part of like sorting through a lot of the emotional stuff that I, I, cause I feel like I had so much emotional baggage and like stuff that I went unprocessed and even like I had constipation issues. So I just had all this stuff that was like building up. So I had to just really start learning how to move energy within myself. And then I began receiving, uh, well, then I learned about acupuncture and then I began receiving um, acupuncture care, specifically the five element um, style, which I gravitated toward because of the emotional kind of psycho, psycho emotional component that at least that my practitioners that I was seeing brought to me, which, you know, we meet whoever we need to meet on, on the way. And, um, so I did acupuncture regularly, like with that, that chunk of time after the birth control pills, like acupuncture was something I did regularly, probably once a month, um, for a few, for a year, like a few years. And that was just, that was just like a support. It wasn't like the thing that made me better. It was like the constant support that kept like retuning me, retuning me, retuning me, like And then I would have to bring in all the other things like diet, of course, became, you know, honing in on getting out, getting chemicals out of my body products um, and out of my food, becoming aware of what I was eating, what I was putting on my body, uh, you know, what was how things were making me feel, you know, just being super sensitive to like everything and then going into like relationships like is this toxic? Is this helpful? Is this? just like full spectrum, holistic, everything affects us is how I approached it. Yeah. Um, and so what were the main like dietary shifts that you needed to make? And then also in terms of like, I'm assuming you mean like body care products, like shampoo, conditioner, any like makeup or any kind of cleaning products that you use around the house. Exactly. Was that something? Yeah. Yeah. So if you can talk about like, um, some specific things that you learned about along that, that, that journey of, um, yeah, like foods that you, like, what were you prioritizing? Were you Mm -hmm. cutting out certain things or adding in other things? Well, I was instant, like I was initially drawn to cleansing and I think it's because I was on that yogic path. I was, I was drawn to like, I was never really a huge meat eater, although I am I want to just say this off the bat. I am an advocate for meat eating now. So I'm not going into like a, a thing, but for my, in my healing cleansing process, I needed to gravitate toward more, um, whole foods and, uh, raw foods and vegetables and fruits and just, uh, cleanses. I really was drawn to cleansing. So, and I did it wrong. I I had made so many mistakes along the way. Like when I didn't have any guide, like I was young and living out in California and I felt like I need to cleanse. And I just, this is like embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. It's funny. I was like, cause I was reading be here now by Ram Dass and he was, they were talking about cleansing in there. And I was like, I want to cleanse. And, um, I bought Trader Joe's, like, you know, they had juice, like carrot juice and some of the juice. And I was like, I'm just going to do a juice cleanse. And I thought that's like, I was like, I didn't know. No one had ever even introduced the idea to me. So I like, I did like some weird Trader Joe's. This is my first ever cleanse, weird Trader Joe's juice cleanse. And, (laughs) and then I like, I don't know. I just remember getting so bloated after I was like, this doesn't seem like it's cleansing me. (laughs) So, so I had a lot of trial and error over the years, but, um, I kind of dialed into just, uh, being super conscious, you know, within reason. I'm not, I'm definitely not, you know, I had my periods of being way more like controlling about, especially when like, I don't know, when there was just more up in the air in my life, I had more controlling, uh, tendencies toward, you know, like the cleanness of what I ate and kind of almost like lashing out at my family. If I went home to visit based on like what they were eating, it just, just stirred up a lot of stuff as I went through this big shift, but I've relaxed my ways a bit more now. Um, but yeah, that, does that answer your question in a roundabout long way? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that, that that's a thing that a lot of people that enter into the wellness sort of culture go through that it sort of like can demonize um, a lot of things and just everything being clean. 
Um, and then we kind of go through this journey of being really crazy and controlling. And then really where the most balance is, is just kind of incorporating all different kinds of foods and just being conscious of what you're eating and how it affects you. And if it makes a difference in terms of like whatever symptoms that you have, then continuing, um, yeah, if necessary, but then also enjoying things too. Um, and not lashing out at your family. I can very much relate to that also. It's so stressful. (laughs) You can't control anyone but yourself, period. Totally, yeah. And also what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. Right, and if you want to influence, you have to do it in a way of by just living it instead of, you know, you can't force. So like, you know, ultimately people do become influenced if you want them to be or if they're going to gravitate, but definitely not through aggression. (laughs) Yeah, lead by example. Um, Okay, so if you want to transition now into um, conception, and if you were actively trying to conceive your first child, and if you had any struggles with fertility or anything of note around um, conception or fertility, if there's nothing really to note, then you can just also talk about pregnancy and your experience of pregnancy too. Yeah. um, Well, what comes to mind is the you know, I, I mentioned the menstruation and the pain and I, all the things that I did and shifted. Um, but my pain never actually, it was like, it was a rat. Like if some months it would be there, some months it wasn't. And I was still honing in, but I never honed in enough before becoming pregnant to actually nail down like and, and like heal or whatever my period pain, but an interesting thing happened. I was trying, I I wanted to get pregnant. I decided I kept wanting to push it off. I had a partner. I still do, but, um, I wanted to push it off to put career, what I had been working on with my career. I'd went to acupuncture school and wanted to get my license and wanted to get all this stuff up and going before starting a family. Cause I knew that I was going to want to dedicate a lot of my life to my fa- to like my children. So I kept thinking, oh, we'll do it in five years. And then actually um, a woman who was actually my first, this is a side note that's not totally necessary, but she was my first ever acupuncturist that I met when I first started out on the path. And then I reconnected with her later when I had moved back to my home state, which is Connecticut. Um, and I was talking to her about my period. I was like, I, I'm, I was like, I'm worried about my fertility. Like I'm having period cramps still. I, I don't know, you know, I'm doing my best to balance. I, it was definitely a stressful transition for me to graduate acupuncture school and then move across the country and try to make life work. So I think I was flared up in the, the autoimmune front. So I think that's probably why the, the periods were painful. Um, and, but I also think there was like an emotional component too of like, was I on my path? I, I think that's something I've gleaned because I wasn't clear because there was just so much disclarity. Do I stay here? Do, whatever. So the lady gave basically was like, well, if you're worried about your fertility, why don't you just try to get pregnant? And it was like permission where I was putting so much pressure on myself of like, you need to do this first. Like that's a reward you can do later, just this society, you know? And, um, and it was just literally like music to my ears. And I like remember just remember running home and being like, Tim, like, let's just get pregnant. Like, let's just try. Because I was very cautious about not getting pregnant. Like, but yeah, I wasn't on birth control for several years. So I was using like the fertility awareness method. And I never was loosey-goosey with that. I was always very like, I'm not getting pregnant. And um so it did take a, like, we were kind it was an interesting, like, learning experience for us as, like, just as partners, like, sexual partners is, like, having this new element of, it was not organic and just, like, boom, I was pregnant because we were, like, trying, but we already had, like, a sex life, so it wasn't, but it was, like, I was being very controlling, and so for the first, like, two, I think it was one month, I had a strange period, um, and it came early and I thought I was pregnant and then I wasn't. And then the next month I had like really strong period cramps. This was my last period before getting pregnant. 
And I remember being in the bathtub and it was so strong and I was just surrendering to these pains. And I had this download in the midst of, I think it was the first time I really surrendered to like my period pain and like listened to it. I was always trying to suppress it or, and I just, because I was in this, I was, I was already gr- grieving a little because I wasn't, I wasn't pregnant that month. So I had the blood, but I was like, you know what, this is, this is part of it. And I, I felt like, I feel like I'm birthing. And I had this, like, I, what I can describe as what I felt like was a God interaction. And I heard a message of like, you're going to have a baby girl and you are birthing her right now. And you make me cry because it's like, and I just was like, okay. And I, you know, I went through the birthing pains of my period. You know, I had never considered my period pains as like a divine thing. And I wonder, had I been more opening, what wisdom could have come? Had I, you know, created more of an opening for that pain? Um, which I think as I got older, I did create more of an opening to that, but never to this, this degree. This was a very vulnerable moment for me. So, um, or o- open, I guess, moment. And yeah, so I, I ended up getting pregnant and um, the month, the next month, like period did not show up. Um, so the pregnancy was good. I planned a home birth. I was really morning sickness, really exhausted in the beginning. Um, you similar to how you describe yours. Like I was just wiped and had food aversions. And I was like, this is terrible. And, (laughs) but I was happy, you know, um, uh, I had the home birth planned and, I moved in the middle of the pregnancy and, um, what happened? (laughs) It was, I think it was a 30, I had a birthing tub ready and I think it was like 36 weeks, um, which is on the early side. I, uh, my water broke at like, I stayed up late with my husband we watched it. We weren't married at that time. Um, we watched a movie, like a late night movie, which we hadn't been doing because I had been sleeping so much. And, but this one night we were like, let's watch a movie. And so we like watched the movie in bed on a laptop, turned it off. 20 minutes later, my water broke, but we had like the, per our midwife's advice, had like a double, like a, a liner underneath the bed, um, which I'm happy about. Uh, I thought that was a cool tidbit because the water broke there. And um, I was like, all right. And then it took like another two or so hours for anything to really happen on like the physical sensation. And so that was like 1 a.m. And then we did clue the midwife in, obviously very late at night. And obviously she was not expecting this birth because it's 36 weeks. She's, there's, you know, they think it might be like 40 weeks. I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason, but there's some statistics, I guess, that say first pregnancies last longer. Um, so essentially we were keeping her posted like once or twice because it was escalating. I got out of bed. I went in the bathtub and just like, basically I was like, I know these, I know these feelings. This feels like my menstrual cramps have felt like my whole life. So it wasn't new terrain for me, which in, I, which in that moment I was grateful for. And I can, yeah. So, um, basically it escalated really quickly and the midwife did essentially didn't believe that it was happening as quickly as it did. And, um, and didn't, so she long story, well, not long story short because the birth, the baby came fast. Um, the sun was rising. I was in the living room at that point birthing. And I remember like being on my husband, like holding his knees and like you had described with your birth story, just this primal, like, like guttural, like, and it was just beautiful and organic and, um, and it's sexual in a way because it was just me and him. And well, I mean, cause for me, like, I don't know if I could have got to that place of like, cause I remember like holding his hips and, and feeling like, this is like sexual a little bit, like kind of like this, but I'm also no, like what, but it was just all connected. And, um, And then I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like it's, I gotta go. And so I went into the bathroom and, you know, we, she was coming, she was on the way at that point. Cause we had, my husband had clued her in like, it's definitely happening. And 
basically two two pushes or ejections and she was out um tim cotter handed her to me uh you know he saw her head crowning and um and then about like 10 minutes or so after i mean i don't know what time was but you know within reason after she the midwife walked in and you know, I'm not, I'm not stoked on this midwife, uh, for a couple of reasons, but one of the first things she said was it's cold in here. Like she came to save the day and turn the heat up and give me a blanket for my baby. Cause, oh my God, I couldn't hit like, yeah. And then she, but you know, I, I didn't know anything. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's cold. Like, it's interesting how, in, how quickly one may give their power away of what's right in a moment when someone comes in with an energy of, I know what's best in this moment, because she came in with, well, I'm not to say that it wasn't cold, but we were obviously comfortable. And so she helped me up, you know, got the towels. We, she guided me to the couch and then my placenta didn't come out um, as quickly as she would have wanted it to come out. And which was not that long, mind you. And once again, in a kind of just really wasn't prepared for this because I, you know, I was just assuming home birth. She whipped out the Pitocin and was like, I'm going to give you a Pitocin shot for once again, just the savior complex. I feel like she had, and I let her do it. Cause I literally, I was not prepared. I did not have any information about this beforehand. And I'm not sure if the Pitocin even did anything, but I definitely didn't want the Pitocin. Um, in hindsight. And ultimately, yeah, I birthed my placenta as I was meant to. Thankfully, there was no, when she checked me, which I did not appreciate being checked, um, especially, you know, it's like we had no connection to begin with. And then, well, we had a connection-ish, but like the midwife group I, I went to, by the way, it was like, you didn't know who there was like a few oscillating midwives. So you didn't know who was going to be the one on the time of your birth. And, um, she was one of the, one, she wasn't the one I wanted, uh, but she was not the one I didn't want the elite most. And that was also partly due to the fact that I couldn't afford, this was like covered by my insurance. So I was just getting the best care that I could afford. And, um, cause I'm sure, cause I know of now, like specifically where I'm living, there's a midwife that one or two midwives that I probably, if I could have afforded, would have wanted to go with their care. But, um, anyway, it was great. I mean, she helped, it was, it was useful and, um, yeah. And then my life changed and I had to kind of continue to sequester my feelings that I had had before labor or before getting pregnant of like, well, I need to be this person. I need to come out and have this career and like be this acupuncturist expert lady that, you know, everybody's been looking at me, watching me do for years, like traveling and going to these different schools and learning all these things. And like, what do you, so I had this voice in my head for like the first like year of, um, my daughter's like life as I was fully breastfeeding and fully taking care of it, really fully devoting myself. And, um, I would say it took me, it took me at least a year or so to like just or and it's a continuous thing but I do feel like now I'm in a better place as far as like really surrendering to where like where life is right now and um knowing that how can I kind of change what I had had in my identity of myself and merge and you know evolve and not be so stuck and that's you know I think everyone goes through that in their own way but that was the first one. Yeah, I can hugely relate to that. Um, like having this constant battle with myself of just like, I want to be this like women's health advocate and help everybody help all these women figure out how to cure all their gynecological issues. And then I'm also a mom and it's really, really hard to do things other than caring for such a young child. And it's, I I'm doing the same thing, trying to just be respectful of this season of my life and, you know, having an awareness that, yeah, that it doesn't 
last forever and it's a really special time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so um, did you, so postpartum, was there anything in particular that you did that you found useful or um, anything around breastfeeding that was either challenging or was everything kind of, um, um, oh, I want to add because you did, did the same thing. Um, I, I feel like the, like one of the reasons why this labor went so quick and so like kind of almost like exactly how I had imagined it because like I had been doing so much preparing before it, like I was reading a lot. I was reading tons of, um, birth stories like Ina Mae Gaskin. And I did very religiously the, the dates that you you have mentioned like but I'll just say it six dates a day um especially towards the end and I also like enjoy dates so that was cool got some seven hot dates have you ever heard of that company in California seven hot dates oh they have the best dates they, they ship um and uh what was it oh and the raspberry leaf tea like making a infusion every night letting it steep and having it every day and I was just really like rock solid with my rhythms and routines with that pregnancy and really mentally, spiritually, and emotionally preparing and envisioning. And uh, so, yeah, so that I wanted to mention that. But then postpartum, the breastfeeding thing, I think number one for me was like, I was committed to it. So it was not easy. I'm like in the beginning, like the boobs were big. And I think I got a slight mastitis, mastitis, I don't know, none of that word. <laughs> And it was, I, I was very obsessive too, I remember, because I had this app that was like, yeah, it, oh my God, it was this app that was like tracking when the baby eats and feeds. So like, I was like up in the middle of the night, like putting in the app, like start time. Cause I was, and then it would make these charts where it would show like how much hours she spent breastfeeding. I, I, it was just my way of knowing that she was okay. And it was very, um, type a, I have some of that in me. And, um, <laughs> it's funny now, cause it was the second that is not at all what I did, <laughs> but I forgot I did that. So it was kind of stressful. I was just adding this, but I needed to feel okay. And it, you know, it was cause I was doing it on my own. I didn't have any lactation support, but you know, I had to figure out the positions. I would look things up. I would talk to people that had breastfed and it was just constantly trial and error. And she was, she was latching. She was, that's, that all was happening, um, you know, to some more degrees than a time, sometimes more than others. Um, like, like sometimes more than others. I don't know. It's hard to remember too, but I, I would say that first year I was just gentle with myself. I definitely was, um, you know, slow with getting back into any physical like yoga practice and conscious of, how I was moving. Um, I bled for like only a two weeks or so, two or three weeks after that one. Um, but yeah, the, the second baby was a definitely a totally different experience, but I'll let you. Uh... Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know um, how your periods were when they came back. So like when they came back um, and if you still had the pain or good question. Right. This is important to mention. Um, they came back like four, I was like 14 months postpartum, I think. Uh, cause I was still breastfeeding fully and I and just two, my cycles have always been, they had always been regular. I never missed any. Sometimes they were even too short, like 19 days. Like there was a period of my life when they were like, I was having almost having two periods in like a 40 day period. Um, but no, never again did I have pain at least in between the window and currently I'm still I'm, I'm I'm currently bleeding again and no no I've never had pain again and I've heard that you know a lot of older women will say that too kind of even if they're not at all interested in, in women's health I've heard them say like my mom or my mother-in-law have been like oh yeah you know sometimes going through pregnancy and that you know I've heard that too that pregnancy can be this huge health reset and this huge reset for women. And especially with how you like take care of yourself during that. It's like one of those thread points, like we were saying, like the menstruate, the menarch, da, 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 da. So like you can, you can heal these different parts of yourself. So, I mean, that's taking ownership. I don't know if that's true, but I'm assuming 
you know, had I had a crazy stressful pregnancy and birth and all this, like perhaps I would still have period cramps, but maybe because I nurtured that time. It yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And I, I've heard those like menarche postpartum and menopause being the three golden opportunities where we have, you know, a lot of um, available to us to heal some underlying things. Um, they're just like big transitional times, basically. And um, in particular, if you, if thinking about it from a Chinese medicine perspective, the pain was from a lot of stagnation, right? And probably an emotional component contributing to that. Um, but then when the lochia, the tissue and blood and everything that comes out after you've given birth, if you allow that proper time to come out, which yours was so efficient that it was just done in two weeks, probably because you're allowing yourself to rest, taking good care of yourself, eating good foods, um, your body was able to clear all of that out efficiently. So there wasn't any like lingering stagnation left in there that then would make your pain, your periods painful after. So well, yeah, awesome. totally. I think, I think so. So yeah. yeah. So here we are now. Um, I don't know if you hear the noise up there. Oh, okay. Um, well, should I get, should I continue? Yeah. So if you want to talk about, um, conception of your second child, if there, I mean, I'm assuming there weren't any issues, um, in conceiving this time, because probably it sounds like your body was more regulated. Um, and then you can talk about that pregnancy if it was any different or, um, and then also your birth plan. I'm super interested in hearing about, and I'm imagining that your decision to have a free birth um, which for anybody that doesn't know, and you can describe it more in detail because you know way more about it than I do. But from what I understand, it's that you don't have any um, providers there. Like you don't have a midwife or doula. You're, you had your partner. Um, it, it, I imagine that that was informed by your previous experience of kind of not really feeling like um, I mean, you already kind of had a free birth with the first one because your midwife came after the baby was born anyways. Um, so yeah, why don't you, uh, just talk now about, um, your conception of the second child and then the pregnancy and then your birth plan. And then I'll probably have some follow-up questions about okay. the, the birth too. And yeah. yes, your imaginings are de definitely informed it. <laughs> definitely. It definitely did. Um, so when I got pregnant the second time, it was not planned. I, I, I had known I wanted another baby, but it was not planned at that time. That was a, that was a honeymoon oops, because I was like totally in another world, another country, not paying attention to my cycle. And I just totally thought I was in the clear. I was like, we're, we're good. And it was like, absolutely in my like fertile window, which I'm like, you know, obviously it was meant to be. Um, Cause like my brain just did a total, it left the scene, but um. So I was pregnant, but, it, but because of the fact that I was not preparing for it, it was like a new lesson for me of like, you know, there was a lot of grief actually, because there was a lot of death at that time in my life. And um, I was kind of grieving because I was like, whoa, whoa. Like I just, it was hard for me to connect with what was happening entirely. Um because it just wasn't, it wasn't as fully conscious as what, with, with my first one. And so, so, and I had the same thing with like the morning sickness and the exhaustion. I already had my two-year-old to take care of. And, um, I, you know, I didn't want to rob anything from her either. Cause she was like still young. I had a potty trainer. I had to wean her during the time I was pregnant. Like, I don't know how women do it. I always say this, but when, when their kids are like, one, two years apart. I'm like, how do you even, that's not, and I know, you know, you probably know, or at least I think it's Chinese medicine, but Chinese medicine and a lot of traditional medicines say ideally for the woman to heal two years in between conception and labor, which technically I meted that I met that mark. Um, there was almost exactly two years in between or something. I don't know. I don't know if it was actually two years. No, whatever. Who cares? Um, so I went through, well, I started going to see the same midwife group um, that I had seen previously, again, insurance and finances. Um, so it was, there was no other choice. And there was this interesting like air of 
well, okay. Somewhere along the line, I learned about free birth. I don't remember even, it just started coming across my, maybe because I had that unassisted quote unquote unassisted, although my husband assisted me and whatever. Um, it started coming into my consciousness. There's a, uh, a business group thing called free birth society. Um, and so there's a podcast out there and I was listening to that podcast which has birth stories um, of women who free birth have chosen to free birth. So it's, I love hearing birth stories. Like it's just, I think I'll always love hearing birth stories and, but especially when pregnant. Um, so I started getting that into my consciousness and like, I, I was like, well, this is an interesting concept. And then there's another thing called wild pregnancy where you don't receive care. Cause there's, you know, there's a lot of opinions and, um, the, the opinions. There's a lot of like reasoning behind that. And I'm not even going to attempt to try to explain that with any eloquence, but, um, I just knew that I could do it. And so I was going into, well, you know, the free birth, at least I was going into these, these, um, pre, what are they called? You know, baby checkup meetings. I don't know when you're pregnant and they're testing you. I, I like had prenatal. prenatal. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. prenatal. I had an agenda because I wanted to know the gender. Like I, 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 despite being a free birther, I absolutely wanted to know the gender. This is like that blend of type A and B, if those types even are real things. Um, so I wanted to do the blood test because I'm not, I do not believe that ultrasounds are beneficial. Um, in fact, I think they're the opposite, but I got the blood test. So I want, I needed to like get the care and go through the motions. I think on some level I knew that I was just doing this to get the blood test. So I got into like 16 weeks, found out it was a girl or whatever weeks, how many weeks it was. And I was, I was noticing this like air of ridiculousness in these prenatal meetings. I was like, this lady's doing nothing for me. She always, they always offer their hand to help. This is just the group I went to, of course, too. It's not a, it doesn't speak for all midwives, but, um, you know, offering her hand when I was sitting up as if I couldn't sit up on my own at like, and this is the, the emotions they grow through. But I was like, this is such a charade. Like I'm good. I can get up on my own. Like I'm more drawn to people that like, don't, that's not empowering me. That's like creating a dynamic of you're already disempowered and I'm here to help you off the gate. And I know that that happens across all cares for um except for I would say really authentic midwives and um radical birth keepers who are kind of trained under this free birth mentality and I think before midwifery was hijacked by you know the medical industrial complex so yeah it was just feeling totally wrong to me I was like you guys you guys aren't helping me and I decided I'm going to go rogue. I'm going to go wild. And I just told the midwives, you know, I left an email or something and I was nervous to do it because I was like, this is it. Um, and I also was worried on some level that they were going to like, I don't know. I just didn't know how it would go or if they were gonna be like, well, who's your care? Like you give me kind of a, but you know, the head of that midwifery, she knew she missed my birth. So, you know, if she ever wanted to if there was ever a problem, like whatever, it's just interesting how I had fear around it. Like, Oh, I can't leave. Like, I can't do this. They're going to, I'm going to be in trouble for being a woman that's having a baby as nature and God intended. Um, okay. So whatever went, went, went through the pregnancy and was very pregnant at about 35 weeks and I started leaking. Uh, you know, I started feeling better, by the way. The morning sickness picked up and I, I worked through my emotions, but I was not preparing like the same way that I had prepared. I, I like I didn't do yoga. Like I did tons of prenatal yoga with my first. It was just mostly two because I had the, the two year old going on two and a half basically um, in my life. And yeah, so it was just like already a lot. So the self-care aspect was not as on point. Didn't do the raspberry leaf tea, maybe like once. Didn't do the dates. Um, and at like 25 weeks, I was like starting to leak a lot. 
but it wasn't like a it was just leaking I was like really sorry 35 weeks and um basically like it was like one night uh I had like the uh bloody show show up and I was like is this real like it was like during the day and I I some weird thing happened in the post office this day I, I was basically going into labor and although I didn't have the pants, but like the, the pains, but the labor was starting at like this weird thing happened in the post. I was just so on edge and just, and in hindsight, I was like, oh, cause I was, my body was like preparing for labor, but it was just so slow and long, but it was kind of good. Cause I had a whole day. I was just like doing errands with my daughter, going to the post office. She was going to preschool at the time. Um, and then like at 1130 at night, I felt some aching and I was like oh my gosh I think I'm going into to to labor and this was it was 35 weeks so I was much earlier than I had prepared and you know possibly could have been viewed as um I don't think the midwives would have viewed that as a problem but possibly could have been viewed as a problem in the uh, other world because everything's pathologized basically in that world and um I, I also want to add, like, one of the reasons I think I chose the path of free birth was, you know, some people think, like, you're crazy, like, that's so scary, I'm going to go to the hospital, well, I feel the exact opposite, that's so scary, and it's, it's, it's a level of, you know, when you know what you know, and you understand, and feel like you see harms done, and also when I went through what I experienced with the first, and knowing, like, being in that like intimate setting, how powerful that was and how rewarding and how quickly I healed and all this. Um, but that said, I think there, it wasn't perfect because I was scared. I did have fear. And I think, you know, one of my like acquaintances, friends, teachers that founded the free birth society has a quote, I'm going to butcher it, but she says something like, um, well, actually, there's two quotes. One of them is from Emily Saldea, who is the founder of Free Birth Society. She says, we birth how we live, which is kind of just something to sit with. And then, but the other thing is like, fear is, oh, I don't know. But some, basically the concept is like, fear is going to, we're not trying to rid ourselves of fear, period. I mean, you know, it's kind of like something everyone looks at when they're preparing for labor, like, so yeah, fear came up and um, basically I uh, was like kind of on my own throughout the night, just like trying to sleep and um, oops, my phone, I just got a call. I don't know if I hopped off. Okay. And by the morning, I let my husband sleep by the morning. I had my mom take my daughter to school and stuff. And um, I was like, you can't, you don't, can't do work today. So by the morning it started kicking up, but this one really is a long story short. It was a 24 hour labor because it started at 11 PM. And that's when I just kind of tried to sleep as best I could. And then she wasn't born until 1130 the next night. And, um, it was, you know, there's a lot of like, not nothing happening. Like there was a lot of you know, I I didn't have any real reassurance, except I was texting with my doula friend. Um, and she was actually almost like virtually, especially when things got like pretty, like as we got into the dark of the second night, I was like, you know, is this going to go on forever? Um, of course I was exhausted. I'm not really, I'm not like, I wasn't hungry. I had like bone broth and coconut water and, um, but she gave us some ideas with what to do with like the rebozo. So like, I actually really needed that physical support, especially towards the, the later parts. So my husband was doing some physical stuff per her advice. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful that I had her on hand in that way. And, um, and it just also goes to show how unprepared I kind of was because I had none of these tricks up my sleeve but I was really kind of like trust falling into this. I was like, you know, I can handle it. And I knew I could, but it was hard. And then she, once again, I gravitated towards the bathroom. Oh no, I fell asleep for a little bit. And I think that 
sleep allowed me to open up because then my water came, my like waters broke. Um, and I was like, oh yes. Cause I knew that with the first, when the waters broke, that was like really what pushed it along. And so this was like probably around 10 PM and went into the bathroom just I was hot hot flashes I mean maybe the water's broken she came within like 20 30 minutes I don't know I think it might have been sooner than an hour and a half before she arrived so um yeah then she was born and she was she was she had a the the cord there's a name for this she had the cord around her neck which I just gently removed and she was a little blue and wasn't really um, react, you know, wasn't totally there yet as compared to my first daughter. I remember when she was born, I held her up and then I said, I was like, can you, can you say something? And she went, <laughs> she squeaked to me because I was like, just kind of checking in. And, but this, this daughter, um, my lovely, lovely little baby. Um, yeah, she was not totally there yet. And, you know, she had been through that too, that, and I just was like, okay. So I like went and I, I breathed into her mouth and it's, it, it, it seemed to enliven her. And then, and then she started getting more color and I mean, but she was, she had the placenta. So it's not like she couldn't breathe. She wasn't choking. And that's the thing with the, the cord around the head is like the placenta is how they're breathing. So I don't know what that was, but you know, perhaps if I was in a hospital, they would have whisked her away immediately. And I'm once again, just grateful. Even if there was a midwife, perhaps there would have been more hustle and bustle instead of this calm. And my daughter, knowing her personality, she's so sensitive. And like, I'm just so glad that that didn't happen to her and that I was just, it was just me and my husband. And um, yeah. And then once, you know, she was there, cause there, I faced the fear of like, could she be dead in me? That was like one of the things I think that I had to release before I could even give birth. Cause like, the biggest question I think that everyone fears, and this is why we put our, our faith in the doctors is because we want healthy babies. Like every woman wants that. And I had to face, or I had to like, I remember consciously thinking, I made this choice. If, if this is a stillbirth, I'm ready to have this baby. I had to say it like out loud, like multiple times. I was like, I'm ready to have the baby that I, I, it was like weak. So I had to like try again in 30 minutes. Like I'm ready to have the baby. Then I napped, then she came. So there was so much emotional, mental connection to everything. But the fact that she came out and everything was good, you know, of course. Oh, and then um, another amazing kind of angel moment is my friend who formerly was a doula who lived close by. It was like, you know, like I said, midnight, she was like, oh my God, you did it. And she came over and helped clean up. She encouraged me. The placenta was still in. And I was like, oh, now I don't have anyone shooting me up with Pitocin, but I do want the placenta to come out. Cause once again, it was a little bit slower, but I knew based on what I had learned in the free birth society, that it's not as big of an emergency as it's made out to be. So I had to like birth the placenta. You know, I noticed that it was like birthing. It's almost like taking out a cup, you know, like a menstrual cup or even just birthing in general. Like I had to like really relax and open up and just kind of tug on it. And I, and I birthed it out into a thing. So it was all good. But yeah, my friend came over and helped me into the shower, helped me clean. She helped us cut the cord. That's a big question. Um, and that was good. And I, and I, I like support. It's not that I'm like, I don't need help. I got this. I'm good. You know, like support is great. And it's just about knowing where you want the support and what's really needed. And I think for me, yeah, the midwives were not needed. Yeah. I mean, when I was planning my home birth, most of the people that I know have had hospital births and everybody thought I was kind of crazy even for doing a home birth, but I had two midwives, I had a doula and my husband was here. Um, so I had a lot more support than that. And they really helped me. They had me buy this like home birth kit that had all sorts of like medical supplies, um, just like gauze and the bed liners, um, peri bottles, oil, um, rubber gloves, things like that. Um, and then they also had me fill out this like thing to basically like register my daughter as a person. And obviously they cut the cord and things like that. Um, so 
how did you navigate all of that kind of uh, paperworky stuff? I mean, I think that's probably something you can just get from the town hall, right? Or yeah, 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 we we got the papers from the town hall, and I had all those supplies on hand because I had done that first home birth, so I did have everything ready, um, you know, from what I needed. And I actually did find a midwife because you actually do if you're going to register them with the the government, which is basically certifying them as a corporation which I've learned recently is kind of a really strange thing that we put ourselves through as a society because then we come become government um, capital. <laughs> so that's a whole other topic. But, um, but yeah, I was all for it and it's kind of hard to avoid it. And I, had, I did find a midwife in, in Connecticut that I reached out to and I was asking if she would come and do the, the care like a, a few days later so she did or one or two days later so she was like yeah you know I did her last baby was a free birth and I was like oh okay so she came and she was totally happy to kind of like witness the baby as a baby measure her do what we needed like the official it had to be a midwife or a nurse or a doctor or probably a midwife or a doctor and then yeah I had like a friend at, that works at the town hall sign it. So I had just kind of these, it was it really felt old school, like running to the town hall and have, and I took my time with it. I didn't rush. It took me months, I think, to get the thing in and kind of make her a government owned person. And, um, and the, and the cord clamping, we were going to do like a sacred little like burning thing. Cause I had seen that done where like, cord clamping wasn't clamp, but, um, yeah, I'd seen that happen where, you know, people could burn off the cord. It might've been more dry when people did that. Anyway, that didn't work. So we just, my friend, like I said, was there and she just like he heated up some scissors. And then my, I think my husband, you know, we kind of dis disinfected, even though it didn't totally matter because the cord is not going to affect either of us at that point. Um, yeah, just snip. It was easy. And then, yeah, I let, I let the, the, uh, I had researched it in the beginning too, like how, how close to cut it from the baby to make sure that that was like an appropriate distance. And um, yeah, the other thing that stands out to me is that I was surprised about is I had posted something on Facebook after the fact, it wasn't even about me. It was just, I had posted about it like kind of briefly at some point, kind of in the raw stage. And then I posted, I don't remember what the heck I posted, but I just actually received people were very triggered by this. And I wasn't expecting that because I'm just in my own world. And I was just like, whoa, like, you know, people were like genuinely and like kind of venting their stories about like, you know, basically saying how the hospital saved it. It's funny how people instantly feel like they have to defend why their, their baby would have died if they didn't have the medical people there. And it's like, well, okay, that's your story. You're entitled to have that. But I would also challenge a lot of those stories and say, Maybe without so much intervention, you wouldn't have had that scenario. And that's hard for people to, to, to imagine, but it's like, you know, either you're willing to face that possibility or you're going to just get pissed at people that represent an alternative that whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, when you were first talking about um, your first daughter and, you know, like midwife coming late and things like that, I, and that they didn't believe it was like that far along because, and I think part of it maybe was because you were only 36 weeks. Um, and then with the second daughter being 35 weeks, I don't know what the cutoff is, but I know there's like a period of time, even with home birth that like you would be required to go to the hospital because then it's, it's considered high risk or something like that. You're right. You're right. And I forgot about that. I would have been forced to go if I was in there, unless I didn't tell them I was having the baby, yeah. but I was, I would have been terrified because I would have been entitled. I would have been enmeshed in their care. I totally forgot about that. That's so important. And cause I would have not made the cutoff. That's right. And I would have been enmeshed because I was already there before transition, like that peak moment. I remember thinking, should I go to the hospital? Like, I think a lot of people have that thought, but I was like thinking, wait, I have that option. I could do that, but no, I'm not going to do it. And then the baby came like three minutes later, but, um, 
Well, and I mean, it probably depends on the midwife group too. Like I'm not an expert, but I remember when I was pregnant and I was still trying to find the midwife I was going to work with, there was one group that did work with insurance and they, I think that there's, there's just like a lot more, um, liability concerns when you work with insurance, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and they told me at the time that if I went past 42 weeks that they basically would just like, I would go to the hospital. I would be like with whoever was at the hospital. They couldn't even attend my birth at all at that point. And I was like, okay, not interested. And then the midwives that I ended up working with told me that they would, they would be okay with me going past 42 weeks. And then if I did, they would still attend my birth, but that was because I was paying them privately. So they have more flexibility. Um, and I, I didn't end up going past, um, but I, and it, one other thing I was thinking about with you specifically was that like my cycles have always been more like on the long side and my pregnancy lasted almost 42 weeks, 41 and mm-hmm. five days. Um, and then your cycles were so short or, or like had a tendency to be on the shorter side. And then both of your pregnancies were shorter. So I just, it just is an interesting thing for me to think about as a, somebody that works with women's health that, um, yeah, the things that the techniques that I would be applying in terms of like preparing somebody for labor, if with acupuncture or with yoni steaming or whatever other treatment modalities, they would be different depending on what the person's cycle is like, because you wouldn't want to be sending them into labor too early, but also both of your children were perfectly yeah, They were tiny, I mean, tiny, yeah. but totally, yeah. their fingerprints were there fully developed. Yeah. I thought of that yeah. too. It was very interesting. I get it. And I actually would quiz people on after that happened, like happened a couple of times when someone was pregnant, I'd be like, how long were your cycles? And like, be like, well, I think you, exactly. I think there is a, I think there is a correspondence. It's good to like get, um, survey people who have had babies too and be like how long have your what your cycles are it's well, definitely and I think, relevant I think genetically too I the part of the reason I asked my midwives about going over is because both my mom and my sister went past dates and I was really worried about like having to be induced um because as you mentioned like once you start with one intervention then it's kind of like a you know boom 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 to all of the other interventions or yeah. can be um and so for you, if you don't have any sisters or no, just my mom and, and she had a regular, yeah, yeah. So she had a regular cycle. So I couldn't get any, um, and her, she went long, she went like 40 or so. So she was not a good, uh, I had no idea what to expect, but yeah. So there was, did you, so your, your mom went, you said she went 40 something too as well. Yeah, she was 10 days late with my sister, who's her first child. And my sister was 10 days late with her first child. And so was I. So it's just, I mean, that's maybe like weirdly. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, similar. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, it just kind of is something to consider, mm-hmm. you know, that it could be normal for some person. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of fear around birth. And so I especially wanted to talk to you about this free birth, um, which is really physiological birth, right? Yeah. Really not having any interventions. Um, and so, yeah, it's really cool. So, um, at this point, if there's anything that you want to share about, um, where people can find you, like your website, um, what any offerings that you have right now, or if that's kind of on pause, um, and then any social media platforms where people can find you most easily. Sure. Oh, and your podcast too, if you want to talk about Yeah, that. sure. I was going to say we're, Holly and I are similar, I think. And I appreciate that about you, that you like would put yourself out on a podcast and you do it well. I listened to your, I, I finally listened to it because I was like, I, I got to hear a podcast. I, there's so many podcasts I have in my queue. It's like, oh my God. But um. Because, uh, yeah, I, I have a podcast, which I've not been publishing over like a year. I'm just, it's just on hiatus, but you can find, well, everything, uh, about me is really on my website, which is innersourcealchemy.com. Um, disclaimer, 
that well, it's not a disclaimer, but you know, whatever the word is, I've not edited it or anything. I just kind of fell off the radar in 2020 because I was just really caught off guard by a lot of things like many other people and just kind of decided to focus inward um, and on my family and in my home and all that. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, I have some offerings on there. I'm not really, you know, I, I do one-on-one. I have done virtual work. Um, I am a trained acupuncturist, but I'm not licensed yet. So I'm just trying to figure it out. Like I said, everything's on that website. I'm even my Instagram and emails and all that is there too. But um, like I said, with the first babe and just how it rocked me in the, you know, kind of balancing life and my outside world and my inner world and, you know, my, my bubble world of like my family and home life. Um, the second one did that as well. <laughs> so like, yeah, it just added another layer to everything, but I appreciate you having me on and it's nice to talk to someone about these topics because it's interesting to me as well. I also like to focus on women's health and it's, you know, I, I just think that we have a lot of, I like to, my like slogan is we live the medicine, or like living the medicine. And that was actually something I stole from my teachers who would say, you know, kind of like the Taoist path, like living in alignment and living your own medicine can make for a healthy life. And it's self-sourced in a lot of ways. Um, And then you got to find what works for you along the way. And yeah, I appreciate what you're doing in the world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I totally forgot to listen to your podcast, but, and I can relate. There's always like a bazillion in my queue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I'll link to your website in the show notes. So if anybody wants to check that out, that is where you can find it. And so thank you so much for being Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review so other people can find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.